Amen. Isn't that good? Can we just give them all just by a celebration, one more round of applause? I was trying to put it back together before coming up here. Um, just hearing people's stories and testimonies of what God is doing in their life, it's moving, isn't it? Um, and it reminds me this, this morning as I hear their testimonies of a couple of things. First, it reminds me that no matter uh, what, I, what I think or what we maybe uh, think we know, God is still moving in the lives of people, right? Like sometimes I'll just tell you as a pastor, uh, sometimes you can get to a place where you're like, man, I don't know if God's doing anything in the people of our church. And then you hear people's testimony of, um, of a young man, 20 years old, where God is just gripping his heart and his life even behind the scenes, uh, a seven-year-old man that lived just up the road walking down the road and saw our church sign and came in, hears the gospel and comes to know Jesus. I mean, God is still moving even when we don't see it. And then number two, you never underestimate what people are walking through in the room. Here today, I'll just tell you, I don't know who you are or what you're walking through, but today I will not underestimate who you are or what you're walking through in life today. Man, there's, there's, I know a lot of you in this room that there's things going on in your life that no one in this room knows. And there's things that you're, you're, you're kind of trudging through in life that, man, God only knows maybe a couple of people, but I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here to celebrate with us, to worship with us. And quite honestly, you might be here today, you might be watching online, and you don't know anything about what was just shared, man. You don't know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. You don't know what it looks like to be baptized. You're just here maybe because you saw the church sign you came in, and we're so glad you're here. I have some great news for you today about Jesus Christ. Um, if you want to turn to John chapter 15, uh, that's where we're going to be today is we're currently in a series that we've been in over the last five or six weeks walking through John chapter 14 and 15 and then eventually we'll be in chapter 16 as well, uh, a series that we called uh, The Follower's Trail Guide and today is the sixth week in that as we're in John chapter 15 and it's a uh, what known in the Gospel of John, if you've been here every week, I apologize because I just share it every week as there might be people that are not here or watching online that are, have not been here before, but this is Jesus' farewell discourse. This is where Jesus is saying kind of his last remarks with his disciples and sharing some kind of ways to live as a follower of Jesus as he only has a short period of time left with his disciples uh, before he goes on and gives his life on the cross. And so he kind of gives them a guide for Christian discipleship and how they might live. And John 15, man, I'll tell you, is just packed with goodness about being a follower of Jesus. And today is really no different. Uh, as, I was, as I was preparing for today, um, and maybe because I'm almost 40, I'll be 40 in February, I feel like I'm going through a midlife crisis. Uh, I've just been contemplating more things and thinking about more things, and uh, I was just thinking as I was preparing about friendship. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have a lot of friends. Maybe you only have a few. Maybe you have a ton. I don't know. Um, but it's interesting. The older I get, the more I think about the idea of friendship, the more I'm drawn to people that will challenge me, make me better, self-sacrifice for me, or I can do the same, will confront me will love me really at the end of the day to push me to be a better follower of Jesus, an individual, a better husband, a better dad. I, I'm drawn towards healthy friendship, what I think true friendship is. I'll not, I'm not going to lie. I, I know a lot of people, 
I, would, I, I think I would say I would have a lot of friends. And honestly, I can have fun with pretty much anybody. I mean, I, I can have friend, fun with you. And, you know, most of the time when we talk about friends, uh, unfortunately, social media kind of ruined that with Facebook. Like, hey, I have this many friends on Facebook. You don't really know anything about them except what you see on their maybe feed. But at the end of the day, maybe you have a ton of people that you know, and I have a ton of people that I know, and maybe I would call them friends, but at the end of the day, uh, I can have fun with all of them, man. I just enjoy being with people. I'd enjoy being with you. I'd have a meal with you. It's awesome. But the older I get, I feel like the more mature I get, the more I'm gravitating towards. I'm more leaning in on friendships of people who will push me, will self-sacrifice with one another, will love one another enough to confront one another and challenge one another and pursue one another to be better, to follow Jesus better, to do what Jesus calls me to do in a greater capacity. And it's interesting because in our passage today, the reason why I thought about it, the reason why I even came to mind is because in our passage today, we have this shift, this move that happens in our text where Jesus calls his disciples friends. And at the end of the day, he talks about love and what it means to love one another at the end of the day. And I want you to see that today just with two main points as we look at the text. In John chapter 15, verse 12 will be on the screen. Let's read the, the first section. It's just three verses there, John 12, 15, 12 to 14, where Jesus really defines, or should I say, for me, redefines the definition of what love is. He truly defines it compared to all the things we know about love here in this verse. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Then he makes a shocking statement. You are my friends. But there's a clause there, if you do what I command you. And here, Jesus, with his disciples, who he's calling friends now, is defining what the definition of love really is, right? At the end of the day, he's kind of gives them a command at the very beginning, this directive that fulfills everything that he's calling them to. And at the end of the day, he really fulfills himself. He says, man, at the end of the day, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. If you just park there, pause there for a moment, just think about the way that you interact with those around you. Any, I'm not going to go through all of your relationships, but all of those that you know and interact with, your love for them is to be like Jesus' love for you. So as you interact with your kids and your children and other followers of Jesus and that really annoying person in your life group or your neighbor or that coworker that just really gets under your skin or your spouse that really gets under your skin. Someone said amen back there? I know who that is. I'm not going to call you out. Right, but he, he redefines it here that at the end of the day, he calls us, he says, that the, this is my command, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. It's pretty significant. At the end of the day, what kind of love did Jesus show the world? What kind of love did Jesus show you? And he showed me. I mean, really easily, we can just define for us, it's selfless, it's others-focused, it's self-sacrificing. That, that Philippians 2 says that Jesus left heaven and earth, or heaven, to come to earth, setting aside all of the rights that he deserved, and gave his life on the cross for us, humbling himself, even to become like us, and then secondly, to actually give his life on a cross. It's pretty significant. 
the self-sacrifice, the humility. This is the real definition of love that Jesus says, and, and he kind of lays it out there in the very next, the next phrase in that verse, that it's a love like no one else. In verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So you can imagine, as the disciples are hearing this, they're like, man, this is unbelievable. No greater love, man, w- would it be that a, this is really good. It's great news than someone who would give up their own life for their friends. And they're probably like, yeah, that's really cool and a great truth and that's awesome. That you would self-sacrifice? Yeah, I, 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 could, I could get along with that. That seems pretty right at the end of the day. Like, man, self-sacrificial love, that's often awesome. But then he says in this very next statement, he says, you are my friends. There's no greater love than someone who would lay down their life for their friends. And then in the next moment, he's kind of tipping his hand to what he's ultimately going to do on the cross when he says, you are my friends. See, over and over again, Jesus was telling them that he was going to lay his life down for them, for the sins of humanity, for us, really, He told the disciples many times, Mark 10, verse 45, is just one example of this, where he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he says, not only I give you this commandment that you would love one another, and he says, no greater love is there than one laying down their lives for their friends, and you are my friends. And Jesus is just ultimately speaking to, in the final moments he has with his disciples, he's not only giving them the definition of love, but just in a short bit, he's actually going to show them the definition of love when he ultimately gives his life on the cross. And then there's this shifting statement in the text, which I personally think we read over too quickly, and we sing songs like, I am a friend of God. Anybody sing that before? Yeah, why aren't we singing that one today, Ryan? No, I'm just playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. I helped put together the set list as well. But right, at the end of the day, it's like we just kind of sing happy songs about it, and it's this thing like, yeah, I'm a friend of God. It's totally cool. It's awesome, isn't it? Well, just think about that for a moment. Let that set in. He declares to his disciples, so he'll say, speak more to it in, in our next point, but he says, man, you are my friends. But he gives this definer within the statement. He's not just says, hey, you guys are my friends. That's awesome. Love y'all. They have a secret handshake that they do together before he gets on the cross. Like, hey, see you guys on the other side. It'll be great, right? No, it's not quite like that. One commentator describes a friendship like this. It's an amazing offer, he says. He says, it means that no longer do we need to gaze longingly at God from afar, We are not like slaves who have no right whatsoever to enter into the presence of the master. We are not like a crowd whose only glimpse of the king is in the passing on some state occasion. Jesus gave us this intimacy with God so that he is no longer a distant stranger, but our close friend. I mean, that is an unbelievable statement. That you and I, by the product of Jesus showing the actual uh, ultimate love in self-sacrificing himself on the cross, in that moment, because of that, you and I get to enter into a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who spoke everything into existence as a friend. How amazing is that? I mean, that, that is one of the things that should spur us on to to follow Jesus in obedience and 
walk with him, a desire to do on behalf of all that, or do all the stuff that he calls us to on his behalf, right? You ever thought deeply about the fact that you are a friend of the God of the universe because of Jesus Christ and what he's done? It's an amazing statement. You might say, like, well, yeah, that's awesome, but it's an amazing statement because of some major theological ramifications in Scripture. I mean, you might say, why is it that big of a deal? It is a big deal, yes, that we are a friend of God, and he's the God of the universe, but why is it such a big deal? Because prior to Jesus self-sacrificing, giving his life on the cross, do you know what you and I were called? What were we called in Scripture, theologically? Anybody? Enemies. We were enemies. It's a huge deal. I mean, we were enemies so much so that it says that we were storing up wrath from God. We wanted nothing to do with God. We were running the opposite direction from God. No one pursues him, it says in Romans. No one sought after him. No one loved him. And we wanted nothing to do with him. But at the end of the day, God pursued us and came after us. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we still sinned, while we wanted nothing to do with him, while we walked in the other direction, while we spit on him, while we crucified him, at the end of the day, he still loved us so much to bring us close to be friends. That's why it's such an amazing thing. I, I don't know if anybody would recognize here the name Irvin Magic Johnson. Anybody? I mean, even if you're like a kind of sports fan, you probably know who Magic Johnson is. And a guy by the name of Larry Bird? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, these guys are legends within football, aren't they? They don't play football? Just wanted to see if anybody was listening. No, these guys are unbelievable. Uh, they were actually quite um, uh, bitter enemies, really, in college and then also into the NBA. It's, I read a fascinating story as I was preparing for this. You know, they, they competed for... Um, the 1979 NCAA a Division I National Championship, and, and um, Magic Johnson defeated Larry Bird. And, and then their rivalry didn't end there as they went into the NBA. I didn't know this, but actually for an entire uh, 10 years, they combined to win eight of the 10 championships in the 80s. Pretty amazing. And they were fierce competitors. They weren't friends. Like, I, I feel like nowadays in sports, they're all buddies Back then, I mean, they were enemies. They, they hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with each other. And, and I read this fascinating story. I've never, I don't know if you've ever heard it. I just want to read it for you quick. It says this. They were enemies. That's until uh, a Converse uh, shoe commercial changed their relationship. In 1985, the shoe company brought the two superstars to French Lake, Indiana for the video shoot. The two didn't talk to each other, uh, didn't talk to each other while filming until lunch at Larry's house. His mom gave me the biggest hug and hello, and right then she had me, Johnson says. Then Larry and I sat down for lunch, and I tell you, we figured out we were so much alike. We're both from the Midwest. We grew up poor. Our families are everything to us. Basketball is everything to us. So that changed my whole outlook on Larry Bird. Once the popular commercial was finished, the two went back to competing at the highest level, but friendship had been established that would be important in Johnson's darkest moment in 1991 when he was diagnosed with HIV. Larry Bird was one of, the one of the few peers that Magic reached out to personally. Johnson told NPR, both Larry and I are very strong, strong-willed, strong-minded. Sometimes the armor, that armor is weakened. 
As strong as it appeared to be, I still needed a friend to just say, hey man, I'm here, I'm supporting you. Just do what you gotta do and I'll be there for a long time. You don't have to talk every day and we, and we don't, but we know that if I needed something, he's gonna be there. If Larry needs something, I'm gonna be there. It's pretty cool. Fierce competitors, hated one another on and off the basketball court. I mean, just always rivalries, competing against each other. And in a moment, friendship was kindled for a lifetime. And it's the same thing that you and I get to experience as we enter in with Jesus. That while you don't know it, if you're here today or you're watching online and you are outside of Christ, you've never, what they just defined, placed their faith and trust in Christ. You are a fierce competitor and an enemy of God. But the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus redefines love in the way that he gave his life for us so that we could change from being enemies to friends. Isn't that good news? Enemies to friends. To be people who are close enough intimately with God that we can walk with him and talk with him and be close to him and enter in with no one else. But what's amazing is that it's not just this, hey, feel-good friendship demands something of us. Like I personally believe all friendship does. He says there in verse 14, you are my friends, what? It doesn't just end there and we don't really like to read some of these parts as one of the parts maybe you want to scratch out of your Bible. If you do what I command you. If you do what Jesus commands, right? At the end of the day. Out of this love, out of this beautiful friendship and relationship we have with God, he calls us to be obedient. And I've said this the last number of weeks, just so I wanted to make it abundantly clear. Jesus is not saying that you will be my friend if you obey me. I will be close with you if you obey me. I will love you and give my life for you if you obey me. No, he's saying... I already loved you so much that I gave everything for you. And if you but just trust in me, we will be close friends and, and, and have an intimate relationship together. Your sins will be covered. And then out of that, the revealing that you are actually a friend of God is obedience to God. That's what he's saying. That the life of a believer is about love and obedience. They're mutually tied. That when Jesus redefines love... He doesn't just redefine love for him for us. He redefines us for him as well. Do you see that? At the end of the day, it's not as if, like, man, this is love that Christ came and he gave his life for us on the cross so that we could experience the love of God and we could be, you know, redef we could be uh, reunited with God forever and we're now friends with God. But, man, um, I don't have to do anything. Anybody have a friend like that? It's one-sided. Like, I mean, it's just all you. You're the one that's always the one pursuing. You're the one that's always doing everything for them. You're the, always the one that's sacrificing everything. You're the, always the one that has to, to, to uh, actually make effort. And the other person is just there for a free ride with a friendship. At the end of the day, how many believers are living in the exact same way that Christ came? He gave his life for us. He gave everything for us. 
He says, man, you are my friend now as my disciple. And at the end of the day, I'm calling you to obedience out of that. And that is what people just did on the platform in walking into the waters of baptism. How many believers here do we have today or watching online? You've given your life to Jesus 10 years ago, 15 years ago, six months ago, I don't care. And the word of God clearly says your next obvious step of obedience is to step into the waters of baptism and be baptized, but you are holding firm that I can't do that. I can't, I can't talk in front of people, Jim. I'd be too scared. I, 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 can't, I, I can't be baptized. I mean, that'd be kind of humiliating for me. I just want you to think about your relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. Christ came. He called us. He gave his life for us. He called us into this beautiful relationship with him. And it's a life of friendship, a life of love, where we walk in obedience out of that love and sacrifice in following after him. And it doesn't have to be baptized. You can be baptized. What other thing in your life are you not walking in obedience with Jesus? You're just like, at the end of the day, that part is too hard for me, Jim. I can't do that. Well, what's cool is he goes on in verse 15, if you look with me. And he kind of redefines the, the, the nature of our relationship together. Look what it says in verse 15. Further about our friendship, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what, is his ma- what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. We've moved from this amazing thing of servants to friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of my father ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things i command you so that you will love one another see jesus kind of redefines the nature of our relationship as he goes on and he moves and he says even further that hey we're not servants we are actually friends and he goes a little bit further of what that actually looks like We were once called servants. I don't know if you know what a servant is. It's almost like really the same word as a slave, that there is nothing I can do and actually speaks to what we previously were in sin, that you were a slave to sin, Scripture says, and there's nothing you could do about it. There's no way you could break out of the bondage of being a slave. But Jesus comes along, he sets you free, and then he draws you in and says, man, I want you to be my friend. In the last couple of years, I've made some friendships with people that sometimes I don't, I don't, sometimes I'm like, man, how am I here with these people? You have any friends like that? Like maybe it's a famous person or whatever it might be. I have some friends in the last couple of years that I've made and I'm like, man, I don't know how I'm friends with this person. Alex, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I don't know how I get to do this every day. But no, I mean, I have some friends where like, I just, I just, sometimes I'm like, man, God, what is this for? And how, why did you shift this? And why is it like this? And sometimes, honestly, I, I, I think like, man, I, I, I shouldn't be in this circle. I shouldn't be friends with, with this person. And it's interesting because I don't know about you, but I, I feel the same weight as I was getting ready to preach today, sitting in a chair right over there, just feeling the weight of like, man, how do I, God, how, how do I get to be 
your friend. How do I get to tell people today, Lord, that they can be your friend, that they can be in a close-knit relationship with you, or that you are such their friend that you're waiting to walk with them even if they're ignoring you? Like, God, how does that get to be me? And I feel like there's a point now in, in the text where I need to call and ask some people in the room or those watching online if you've ever made the obvious connection that, that I've been talking about, that Christ came, he gave his life for you, and he called you, as our text says, we'll get there in a moment, so much so that he wants to be your close relationship friend. And the, and the question is, has you, have you accepted the offer? H- have you actually responded? Have you entered in? Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. You have a story like Mark's and God just brought you here to church or you've been just watching online for a while and you've heard it for years. You've heard it for months. You've heard it for weeks or days, whatever it is. And you're just at that place and you haven't stepped in and said, yes, I'll accept the offer that you've given on the cross for me. Man, yes, Lord, I want to enter into a relationship with you. And maybe, just maybe, you feel the weight of what I just described with some of my friends. Maybe you're watching online today and you're like, nah, Jim, you don't know who I am. I don't deserve to sit in the same room as God. I don't, I don't deserve that. You don't even know, you, you don't know what, I, what goes on in my mind yesterday. I don't deserve to walk with him. I don't deserve to have my sins forgiven. I don't, I don't deserve any of this. And what I'll say is, is, you're exactly right. There ain't one person in this room or watching on that camera that deserves any of it. That's why it's called unmerited favor. It's the grace of God. As he says, just a, a moment later, you didn't choose him, he chose you. And he's calling you. And I just want to ask you, maybe there, there's someone here today that, man, you need to just respond to say, yes, Lord. And that is your response to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to step in and accept the, the offer that you've given to me of what you've done on the cross for me. And I want to enter into a relationship with you, the thing that I've been longing for my entire life, and I didn't even know it. I want to step in to a relationship with you, Lord, and say yes to that today. Man, if that's you, directly after the service, there's people in the prayer room, they love to pray with you and talk with you. I would love to talk with you. You can come down front at any point, any song. I would love to talk with you about what that looks like for you. Or you, you ask, like, how does it happen? Like, how did, how did he redefine our relationship? How did we enter in? How do we become the friends of God, move from servant to friend? Well, he says in verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I, I don't know how else to read it other than that the sovereign will of God has called us into relationship. If you're here today or watching online and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the sovereign will of God has called you and wooed you and pulled you into relationship through the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. And out of that, I love what Jesus says. He says, man, um, I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. This is the beauty of the relationship with God, that Jesus is our mediator, and now we get to connect with the God of the universe, right? As a friend with Jesus, I'm a friend with the Father. D.A. Carson says this about it. He says, the friend is let in on what is going on. The understanding stems not from some superior intelligence, 
but from revelation graciously bestowed on the individual. Jesus himself makes known to his friends, that's us, everything that he has learned from his Father. And that's why we call Jesus our mediator. He's between us and God. Do you, know, you ever wonder why, or maybe you've just done it your whole life, you ever wonder why you pray in Jesus' name? Is it just like something cool we say at the end, like, in Jesus' name, amen? We say in Jesus' name because that is the only name with which God of the universe will hear us. It's the only name with which is between us and God. So I say in Jesus' name because in Jesus' name is the only way with which things shift and change. It's in Jesus' name as he is the one between me and God. And when God looks down, he doesn't see Jim, a broken sinner. He sees Jesus fully fulfilled and given his life for me. Right? That's why at the end of the day, it's a beautiful truth that as a friend of God, I'm a, as a friend of Jesus, I'm a friend of God. Well, can I just ask you, what is the point of your friendship with God? What's the point? He chose to make you his friend for what? Well, he says there in the text in detail, to bear fruit. It's clearly linked to what he said at the beginning of John 15. We looked at it last week when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In the context, we just read this last week, he's talking about us bearing fruit and abiding with him. And at the end of the day, he said, I chose you and I chose that you would go and bear much fruit as a follower of Jesus, as my friend, as you walk with me. There's this amazing passage in Ephesians chapter 2. You probably already know what it is. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Anybody quote that? I mean, we know that most of the time if in, in Christian culture, I and mean, we can just rifle that out. For by grace you're saved, right? You go on. In, in 2, 8, and 9, it's pretty awesome. For by grace you're saved, you've been saved. Uh, and this is not a work of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And we stop right there. It's awesome. I remember it like eight times in Awana as a kid. But the next verse is like the key to the whole deal. For we are his workmanship. And God's working on you. Hopefully he's working on me. And in the process, we're created in Christ Jesus for what? It says for good works, which God be prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That I hope you know that when you wake up every morning, as you woke up this morning, and your feet hit the ground, and you have a new set of breath in your lungs, and you walk about your day, I want you to leave tomorrow as you wake up and say, man, there are good works that God has prepared beforehand that I should walk in them today. I have purpose today because God beforehand prepared amazing good works for me to walk in today in 2022. And then tomorrow you can wake up again and be like, man, I know today I have purpose because there is good works that beforehand, before I was even born, God prepared good works for me to walk in today. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. That we're called to bear much fruit as we abide with him Last week, if you weren't here, I defined the fruit that Jesus is talking about, the life of Jesus reproduced in our life. That the fruit that Jesus is calling you to bear in this context, in John 15, 
Uh, many people jump to the fruit of the Spirit and other things. But at the end of the day, Jesus is calling us to reproduce Jesus in our lives in this world as you walk every single day, as you function every single day. That Jesus has redefined our relationship to be close friends with him, in an intimate relationship with him. But at the end of the day, it is not just so that we can be close friends with him and walk with him and you could come to church on Sundays and have your little spot in the church. No, he, he, he's redefined our relationship. He's brought us in from servant or slave to friendship so that we could walk in the good works that he has for us. We could walk in obedience with him. So I go back to what I shared with you at the beginning As I said, the older I get, I'm more drawn to relationships, to friendships that are, maybe as the Word of God said, iron sharpening iron, making me better. Really, at the end of the day, love me. Love me enough to tell me hard things. Love me enough to help me see what needs to be pruned. Love me enough to push me. And just walk with me, right? And I'll just ask you, do you, I think there's a lot of people today that love having a friendship with Jesus, but it's much like our friendship on social media or all of the general friends we have. Man, I like Jesus. I come to church a couple times a month or every other month or few, every few weeks. My family, we're Christians. We kind of do this thing together. I love that he saved me, man, that hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven one day. But really, I'm not looking for a Jesus that's going to push me, prune me, confront me, love me enough to walk with me, to push me into obedience and self-sacrificing love to those around me. And I'll just ask you today, is that you? Because at the end of the day, Jesus' friendship that he's calling us into is not a fluffy, like-to-have-a-good-time type of friendship. It is, I have a great time with Jesus. Might just dance this morning over here. You don't want to see that. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is calling you into is a deeper friendship of love and obedience where he pushes and he prunes and he confronts all that we might love and walk in obedience and response. No matter where you're at, Jesus wants to meet you there today and walk with you as your friend. Whether you know him personally as your Savior or not, if you don't know him as your Savior, again, I would love to have a conversation with you. We have a prayer team in the prayer room just out these doors that would love to have a conversation with you. But all of us in this room, may we consider, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, is he our friend that walks with us, that we allow him to confront us, to, to push us to obedience, to love us enough to walk with him? Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. Thank you for just the, the truth of the fact that you have come after us. You chose us so much so, Lord, that we have moved from being just a servant or an enemy of yours to being a friend. God, I hope that truth, that one single truth, will sink deep into our souls today that you came after us, you loved us, you pursued us, not so we could just be this distant person to you, but we would have a close relationship with you as a friend. 
But God, may we respond as you call us to, that if we are your friends, we will obey your commands. Father God, I ask, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd speak to each one of us in this room, those watching online, in the places that we are not walking in obedience to your commands. We're not interacting with you as a deep friend. We're just treating you as an acquaintance. Jesus, call out in us where we need to be pruned and changed for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.